0: Four girls' worlds turn upside down when an anonymous hacker starts leaking the town's secrets. They will find themselves prosecuted by the whole town when their own secrets start bubbling to the surface. This is the story of Assassination Nation. Do you know that feeling when she can take him faster than you can say sabotage? When she's not a saint, she's not what you think, she's an actress. She might be. Some might actually say she's better known for the things that she does on the mattress. (laughs) With Taylor's version, that iconic line had been changed and feminism won. Briefly, briefly, feminism won. However, today, you're watching a Sam Levinson's production where feminism does not win. Roll the tapes. Detective Unit, let us kick this video off with the trigger warnings. The movie gives them off itself, right off the bat. It tells you what you're in for. Disclaimer: Now that we have trigger warnings out of the way, I hated this movie with a passion. Just so that you know what you're going into, this is very much going to be the analysis of a movie as somebody who had watched it, so that you don't have to. A lot of people online disagree with me. There are comments underneath this trailer that make me think that the world has truly lost it. That I have not watched the same movie as so many people. And there's so many film critics that have said like, oh, this is the best movie of the year. This is so enjoyable. I don't know, left the theater like so psyched and so excited for like where the movie industry is going. And I just have to wonder like (laughs) are men okay? (laughs) Are men okay? And can they stop producing content, movies and series included, about teenage girls? A woman could not have written a movie like this, and I will stand by this till the end of time. If talking about exploitation of women and then turning their trauma into empowerment, a woman would have written something like Barbie. I don't think a woman would be able to get it to production Yet, its creator did for a variety of reasons. This movie is a predecessor to other more famous works by a director, the writer, film creator Sam Levinson, that will put him in hot waters. So, we are first going to go into a deep dive on the man, just in case you don't know anything about him, but also because I haven't seen a video like this where somebody researches his whole past, like, the inspiration for the series and the movies that he had produced, his work with his dad, and then, like, the clear switch with Assassination Nation, and how that completely changes how he does things for the future. Just to save my own ass, the whole information coming from the first part, before we go into the movie recap and the commentary, is the information I could find online, through Sam's own interviews, through online articles, and also the other interviews that the artists other actors and actresses that worked with Sam have done, speaking about what it's like working with a man. So who is Samuel Levinson? He was born in January, January the 8th, 1985. And as I mentioned, he is an American director, writer, and creator. He was also an actor when he was younger. He is the son of the Academy Award-winning director Barry Levinson. Now, Barry is a filmmaker behind Sleepers, Rain Man, Good Morning Vietnam, the cult movies of the late 80s and 90s, all featuring A-list celebrities of the time, names like Tom Cruise, Robin Williams, and De Niro. Sam and his brother Jack will make their film debut, acting in their dad's 1992 fantasy comedy Toys, starring Robin Williams. Sam would continue to appear in his dad's films like Bandits and What Just Happened. In 2018, Sam would come forward with his directorial film debut, Another Happy Day, which would premiere at Sundance Film Festival. Due to his dad's contacts, in 2017, he got to work with Robert De Niro, co-writing TV film called The Wizard of Lies, directed by his dad. De Niro is going to be the one playing Bernie Madoff in this one. The praises at Sundance Film Festival for our movie of the day are What Strikes Me, along with the trailers of movies made by his dad, Barry, that set a precedent for this story. Assassination Nation was described as frenetic and visually stylish, with thinly written characters. From this point on, when Sam's doors are opened and he starts creating his own movies and series, that is exactly what his pieces of work would be. Bad and beautiful. Among many things, Sam is going to be criticized for being a apple baby himself, where even as a teenager, because of his dad's influence, he got to work with the actors that some people can only dream of working with. And many believe that due to this, he is also prone to hiring other nepotism babies, actors who got their foot in the industry because their own parents were famous. I found this video where he speaks on the hiring process and how they have established actors with the lines but also they have the new actors but in spite of this a lot of people notice his tendency to hire other A-listers the way his dad did can you tell us
1: about casting for the project um yeah we worked with uh a, a couple of uh, uh casting directors extraordinary um uh, <laughs> uh, cast directors uh, uh, Mary Frannou, Jennifer Bandini, and Jess Kelly, and we really um, we had scouts kind of all across America, um, uh, just reading kids, you know, you know, you know, hanging out at a mall in Ohio, um, just you know, on the streets of Brooklyn, just walking down the street, and and then also uh, established actors as well, and I think the idea was. Uh, to kind of create this, this sort of energy that um, with sort of non-actors and actors that felt kind of uh, that felt real and sort of honest, and, um, I'm, I'm just I'm really proud of this cast. They're all just wonderful to work with.
0: Sam studied method acting for four years and deployed his knowledge of camera work to now fully own his productions, including the film at hand and followed by the critically acclaimed TV series Euphoria, which premiered on HBO in 2019. But before we speak about his works in the future and the controversies around them, the part of his childhood that he would use to base some characters on would be his own drug addiction. If you notice from the screenshots that I have included speaking about his childhood, there was a gap between his acting and working with his dad on set. And this is due to his history with drugs. Sam would admit that somewhere around the age of 16, he resigned himself to the idea that the drugs can kill him. And there was no reason to fight it. So he would spend his teenage years in hospitals, in rehabs, and halfway houses. He said... I would just let it take me over, and I'd made peace with that. By the time I was 19, I was in rehab, I'd checked in, and was trying to get off of opiates, and onto a more productive drug, like crystal meth. And he would do this so that he can continue writing. And this is when he would be co-writing for the movies for his dad. While in rehab, he came across a book, and found a quote that changed his life. By the way, I did not look up what this book is. There's like a Reddit thread that gives a link to the interview for it, if you want to check it out. I didn't, that just tells you how inspirational this quote is. But the quote that he found that changed Sam Levinson's life is, in the end, we are nothing more than an amalgamation, which is just a big word to say, merge, blend, of our actions. And that's ultimately what defines us.
1: You know, it's it wasn't, it wasn't a, a kind of a strict uh, adaptation in that sense. It was more of, you know, I had gone into HBO and they had owned the format and we had started talking about, you know, just, you know, I, I said, well, you know, what do you like about it? And they said, well, how raw it is, you know, and kind of unflinching. And, and uh, Frances Orsi who's the head of drama there, who's the best executive I've ever worked with and like, could ever dream of working with, um, said, uh, you know, she just, we just started talking about our lives and about my struggles with addiction um, and uh, anxiety and a host of other things. And we talked for about an hour and a half, and then she said, great, go write that. I was like, write what? Because everything you just said. And I went back and I went home and I just started writing. And that's ultimately what became the pilot and then kind of gave birth to, to, to the series. And I think she just, she encouraged me to just keep putting more and more of my, my own personal experiences in, into the piece.
0: What got Sam to finally stop using even crystal meth, like any drugs at all, and get clean, is the thought of, if he were to die as a teenager, who would he be? He said, I'm a thief, I'm an addict, I've been shitty to almost every person in my life that I love. There was this voice that was clear as day that said, stop fucking doing drugs. And he has since been clean. This interview that I'm reading the quotes from was done in 2019. And this is when he was clean for 14 years. So, doing the math, he has been clean for about 18 years. His experience with drugs as a teenager will seep into his work most with the 2019 TV series Euphoria, described by IMDb as providing you with a look into the life of a group of high school students as they grapple with issues of drugs, sex, and violence. The show, as its IMDb page mentions, will center around the lives of a group of high school students as they're going to navigate the challenges of high school, drug addiction, mental health issues, and relationships. Euphoria would gain widespread attention for the unfiltered portrayal of these topics, as well as its stylistic visuals, emphasis on beautiful, again, and strong performances from the cast, led by Zendaya. The series would win an award for outstanding directing, and actors would win a bunch of awards themselves. But with the hype came the controversies. Something that has to be said is about how Sam portrays characters he relates to versus everybody else on the show. When Sam portrays drug addictions, how it affects the dynamics with your friends and family and going to rehab, he does it in such a way where that character is not sexualized. And I can only guess that this is because he relates to that person. This doesn't apply to any other main character. And in the opinions of many, scenes to do with this theme are the only ones that Sam writes and directs well because those are the ones he can relate to the most. The show's main controversy is the one of over-sexualization of teenage girls. Obviously, these characters are played by actors who are 18 and above. To be fair, if Euphoria is to return, probably some of these actors will be like 30 years of age, and above, like, some might be actually, like, older than me, which is wild to think that there's, like, 30-plus-year-old actors, like, playing teenage characters. But the whole setting is a high school. So, a lot of these actresses in particular had spoken about their interactions with Sam when they brought the topic of the on-screen nudity. Sydney Sweeney, who was the breakout star of the show, who played the character of Cassie, actually had spoken by season two about just the frequency of her, you know, like in short skirts, having cleavage on screen, just the on-screen nudity in general. She said, there are moments where Cassie, her character, was supposed to be shirtless, and I would tell Sam, I don't really think that's necessary here. He was like, okay, we don't need it. And she had never felt like Sam had pushed her, or that he was trying to get a nude scene into the show just for the sake of it. When she didn't want to do it, he didn't make her. And critics can't help but wonder, right? Like, if he agrees that the scene didn't need nudity in the first place, why put it in at all? If it doesn't add to anything, why have it there? And this is truly, like, if I could recap Sam Levinson's logic... In one sense, it's that. It's like, does it add anything? No. So why are we still having it in here? It's just so painful when you watch, yes, Euphoria, but then even like when you watch the movie that we are going to discuss today, it's just constantly there. I'm like, why was this in here? Like, we never return to this. It doesn't add fuck all to the plot. Is it just a filler? Why is it here? Just so, so frustrating. There was another character, the girl that played Faye, who is an adult film star in real life. Well, Chloe Cherry, the actress that played Faye, is. And she had said, like, the very first scene, literally her first day and said she had not met Sam. She was supposed to be nude. Chloe said, we just met and said, hey, how are you? And then shot the scene. It probably would have been more comfortable had we had more time to know each other. Sam wanted to do the scene with her completely naked, but her on-screen boyfriend, well, the actor that played her on-screen boyfriend, said that's a lot, so they decided not to. But she was still covered in fake blood, so she felt like, okay, cool, this is something that I can be on board with, because, like, my whole body just isn't being shown as being completely nude. There's also something to be said about the need for sexual tension between characters that works against the plot at times. Character of Maddie plays a babysitter and eventually has this pool scene with the mom of the child that she's babysitting. So we have to speak a bit about the chemistry between the actresses Minka Kelly and Alexa Demi. Initially, Sam had written this scene where Maddie unzips the dress of the mom, of the, you know, like, baby that she's babysitting, right? And it kind of has that sexual edge. He proposed that the dress falls to the ground. Minka Kelly, the actress that plays the mom, said, that was my first day as a guest on this new show, and I just didn't feel comfortable standing there naked. So the nudity was cut from the episode. And if you watch Euphoria, in particular, if you watch this episode, because this scene was cut out, so you only have the scenes in the pool between these two characters, you have the scenes of Maddie trying on the mom's dresses when she's out of the house, and possibly there's, like, a camera recording her. We never, like, find out what the fuck that is all about. The episode is just weird. We have no idea if Maddie's just obsessed with the mom and her wardrobe. Is she attracted to her? Is she being recorded by her? Are they going to start some form of sexual relationship? And just keep wondering, does it add anything to the plot? And if not, why not take it out? So does this next scene. Now remember the woman who Rue, the main character, and the only one that is so so deep into her drug addiction, owes the money to. There is a scene where Rue is in a bathtub, and this drug dealer lady, I think she's called Lori on the show, is to inject her with morphine. However, I think the part that they made out of focus eventually was the part of undressing. So, like, the character of the drug dealer is supposed to undress her, put her in the bathtub, and then inject her. And the actress that played Laurie was just not comfortable with that. She said, there is that scene where Rue is getting into the tub, and Laurie injects her with morphine. And in the script, it's even creepier, because Laurie is helping her undress and get in the tub. And it's approaching this gross pedophilia vibe initially, I was just like, I can't do this. So, she met with Sam, and she said, like, basically, these are my concerns. What can we do about it? So, he said the scene is going to be filmed slightly out of focus. That was his resolution for this. And her take on this kind of implies that there are other issues with this. There's this clear, like, power imbalance with the actors, right? Especially when they're established and when they're new on the show, and the directors that are constantly trying to push their own agenda. And this is it, right? He listened to Sidney Sweeney, who is one of the main characters, when she said, like, I don't want this scene, like, of Cassie. I don't want this unnecessary nudity. However, with kind of the side character of Laurie, who doesn't have that many lines, doesn't have that much screen time, he just puts the scene out of focus. So, he doesn't completely listen to what the actors, rather actresses here, are saying and are asking for. Again, bringing us to the question, if the scene could have been, right, out of focus, it's fucking out of focus. Why does it have to be in it at all? Why is Rue, like, not being injected with morphine? It is so crucial to the plot. In the bed, while still helpless, but not completely dressed. Like, that's an idea. Like, she doesn't have to be sexualized at all just a fucking idea, like putting it out there somewhere. Because something that I have read in like a really good source on this article is when cinematography is actively sexualizing teen girls, the show is no longer subversive or a commentary. It is complicit. Those are some of the main controversies on sexualization of characters expressed through the actress's words. But the show deals with trans characters, plus-size women engaging in sex work, and then trying to own her videos being shared online. A Latina's childhood story, where a woman doesn't want to work, rather depend on a man, despite him being violent. And on top of that, all of the drugs and violence plotlines. Because one thing you learn about Sam is that he loves to focus on portraying the terrifying ordeal of being a woman in today's society. Euphoria leans to a strange fantasy of empowerment and this spectacle of violence. And it gets away with most of the things it portrays because, with this series, he was given seasons to develop on some of these plot lines. But Sam is not a woman. He didn't have the teenage experience of one. And yes, you can portray experiences you haven't had yourself, but can you really do justice to all of those angles? All of those different experiences, especially when you add the layer of race, culture, and background. In an interview that I have watched about the movie that we are about to talk today, this queen asks him the question that many of us want to ask Sam. How does he get the perspective of a woman, like, covering this story, to which he said this.
2: Right, and it's definitely a woman's story, and from their perspective, and the female bridge, how did you get that perspective on it, or at least fine-tune it?
1: Well, I think, like, I was, I studied method acting for, like, four years, and so I always, I love the idea of getting inside of a character's head. and I think part of what's really fascinating about the internet, one of the beautiful things about it is, if you want to know what someone's thinking, someone who doesn't maybe share same gender or background or ethnicity as you, you can find out. You can, you can, it's like every diary, you know, has gone public. You can, if you seek out someone's perspective, you can read what they think about the world, see what they think about the world. And if you imagine it and empathize enough, I believe that you can get pretty, pretty close to, um, to, to how they're feeling.
0: So, apparently, he does a lot of research, but the main question that I had not seen him answer is, why does he do it? So, I had this conversation, literally, like, as I was researching this, um, and obviously, like, as there were a lot of commentaries online, on YouTube about his other show, The Idol, that we are going to talk about, with one of my best friends, right? And I was chatting with her, in particular, about the representation of women. And she said, like, you know, like, if he was to write a story about, Sam is, I think, 38 now, so, like, middle-aged man who had suffered with drug addictions as a teenager, and this is his life now, and he's to be portrayed by, let's say, James Franco, somebody that you can use for, like, clickbait, where people would actually tune in, because it's, like, a famous white actor of approximately, like, his age, developing something that Sam himself can relate to, Like, why doesn't he do that, right? Like, the question is, why can he only write about teenage girls in so many of his productions? So, my friend said, like, this might be his way out. It wouldn't be so icky. But in my opinion, we will still be talking about the male gaze. And in the context of film... The male gaze refers to how the camera's perspective and the narrative construction in movies objectify and sexualize female characters. We would have a male narrator, but a camera would still be directed at half-naked women. Because Sam is someone who has been in the industry since childhood, he knows that sex sells. Nudity sells. So, a show simply following James Franco, or even Adam Sandler-type character, as they're going through a midlife crisis and seeing women as something more than objects, would unfortunately not bring him the publicity that showing teenage girls engage in overly sexualized acts would. Even if Sam was to make a story of his life, something tells me him portraying the crucial years, him as a teenager while he was an addict, would still be done with the lens directed at teenage girls in revealing shirts and shorts. Why? Because he grew up and then started portraying women like this. Not a single trailer I have seen of the movie he has done with his dad showcases women in this light. The exit of one of the actresses of Euphoria, Barbie Ferreira, actually brings that whole topic of not relating to a character, and a wider topic of what happens when an actress doesn't want to be sexualized at all. If you watch the show, you met Barbie's character Kat. Her storyline was the one of the only plus-sized character on the show. So, in season one, she's very insecure, and she doesn't want her friends to know that she's still a virgin. So, she has sex with a guy at his house party, but without her knowing, he filmed everything and he shared it online. She manages to fight the rumors in school that it's her in the video, but soon she discovers that somebody uploaded it to the porn website. Initially, she's obviously scared, but then, after reading the comments, she realizes, okay, what if I reclaim this power myself and start making money as a cam girl? She uses this whole mask; It's like a whole thing that she does, basically. Like, it becomes her whole hobby after school. And while it might be important to tell these kinds of stories of... The women, like, coming into their own, gaining self-confidence, having the underage girl find empowerment through online sex after being victimized is kind of highly problematic. Sexualized cam girl arc is used here as the method of empowerment by Sam. And as a viewer, you felt the base for her self-worth was sex appeal and taking the power over from the man that watched her videos. How you know you're watching a Sam Levinson production is if a woman turns her own trauma and exploits it herself. It's a very twisted idea of feminism. Literally the only thing we asked for were equal rights. And Sam is like, no, 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 no. Take the trauma, twist it around, you reclaim the power by sexualizing yourself even more online. When the actress who played the character of Kat was interviewed about her exit, she said, Sam writes for things that he relates to. I don't think he relates to Kat. I relate to Kat. I think that there were places that Kat could go. I just don't think it would have fit in the show. I don't know if it was going to do her justice. And I think both parties knew that. I really wanted to be able to not be the fat best friend. I don't want to play that. I don't think they wanted to either. I would have played her for as long as I was asked to, depending on what the material was. There are other controversies around Euphoria. There's so many. Like, we cannot possibly even, like, tackle them within hours and hours on end. Hiring of the Nepo babies over new actors, long working hours. But Sam, something that has to be said trying to give you the unbiased account of events, he is still loved by most of the actors. Like, even the interviews that, you know, I have read out to you, everybody said, like, no, he respected my decision. Like, when I asked for less nudity, less of this, he respected it, he listened to me, like, he listened to my asks. And many people are fully supporting his work, and see him as one of the most professional people that they have ever worked with. To wrap up our whole Euphoria journey, the TV series should come back. I think the latest is 2025-2026, based off of the writer's strike. But I feel like I speak for a lot of people when I say, should it. (laughs) Should it. And it's not Even because the actors are going to be, like, of my age, playing teenagers, and that just... How the fuck is that going to sell? It's not even, like, do I want to know where the plot lines are going? What is next for these characters? And the answer being, do I really care, based off of, like, what I remember Euphoria to be? Eh. Eh. It's more, like, because of what he went on to produce next, and the controversies that came with those productions. I'm just going to briefly touch upon this next bit, but his next work came in 2021. It was produced and filmed in 2020. He would write and direct the movie that was called Malcolm and Marie reuniting with Zendaya, who played the main role. The synopsis for this movie reads, A director and his girlfriend's relationship is tested after they return home from his movie premiere and face each other's turmoil during one long night. The movie was not really well-received by the critics. NPR said all that's left are two characters rendered awkwardly as vessels for a director's odd hang-ups about his own identity and craft. The Atlantic film critic said, Malcolm and Marie isn't art. It's a meltdown. It seems to use the titular couple as mouthpieces for a litany of his own gripes. I haven't watched this movie myself, so I can't speak about the plot as much. I can't speak really about the direction, whether it was done well or it wasn't. However, the problem here is that the protagonists are Zendaya and then Denzel Washington's son. While the whole Movie is written by Sam Levinson. The protagonists are two people of color. The whole thing is written by a white man. The dialogues written by a white man. Now, I know Sam does his research. However, how did this not result in this man's career death? I was thinking, right, who would be the equivalent for Sam Levinson, as a woman, somebody who is dad or mom was in the movies, in the movie industry, and then they have kind of started acting and then possible I guess directing and like going on to be famous based off of like their parents, who would be roughly of the same age. And I think I have the person, I think it's widely known that Drew Barrymore is technically an Apple baby. I mean that's kind of how she started her career off and then she made a name for herself. Much more liked debatably so, I guess, than Sam Levinson. Imagine, imagine if somebody like Drew Barrymore was to make a movie, write it, direct it about two people of color. You cannot tell me, you cannot convince me that, A, that wouldn't be produced, like, that would not make it to fucking production, let alone that that wouldn't result in that one being cancelled forever. She would not be able to make another thing. Yet somehow, yes, even though the movie wasn't received as well as a lot of people would. Like, under the trailer, again, I am led to presume that the movie is liked, that people enjoy this shit, that they fucking loved it, that it was, again, beautifully acted because they're famous actors. So whatever he was to give them, yes, in the hands of great actors, they will be able to make something out of that. But again, that this man, after this, still manages to, like, produce works and get to work on other things and just completely continue without any consequences. I don't know. There's something wild. There's something so fucked up to me about this, because uh, you cannot convince me that if a white woman was to have produced the same thing, first of all, they wouldn't, because, again, they have common sense, but it would have not resulted in a woman never being able to do anything else in the film industry ever again. The piece of art that Sam is going to put out next is the one that has been in the news a lot in 2023. We're about to talk about The Idol. One season, five episodes, complete chaos. And also, has to be said, right? What would be the only way to get people to forget that you, as a white person, have produced a movie about um, two people of color, and that is kind of highly controversial, some would say, would be to produce something that is just much, much worse on so many different levels. Insert IMDb synopsis here. Jocelyn is desperate to reclaim her rightful title as the greatest and sexiest pop diva in America, after a nervous breakdown disrupted her most recent tour, after Pedros, a notorious nightclub entrepreneur, reignites her passions. I haven't watched this show, but I have watched quite a few people on YouTube recap every single episode. What it made me question, truly, was Was I okay? Like, was Euphoria ever really good? Like, the only TV series that I have watched of Sam events before this? Or were we all just impressed by a man who knows how to use a camera? Because I'm going to let one of the YouTube girls that I have watched cover this um, show kind of recap it in about two minutes.
2: I think he's the one that forced a bunch of women into sex trafficking yes, Jocelyn, yeah! Whatever. She then says to him privately on stage, you're mine forever, go stand over there. Because now the tables have turned because she's manipulated and lied about her trauma. And here's the thing about women, they love to manipulate their sexuality and sexual trauma to gain power over men. They love it. And now Tedros is hers, bitch. Now she's in power. She's the idol. So the moral of the story is that Jocelyn manipulated her own story of abuse and lied to destroy Tedros's life, but that doesn't really make any sense because Tedros was the con man who was pulling the strings from the beginning to try and ruin Jocelyn's life. It makes no sense. Here's a quote from the New York Times about this because I, I was reading about it trying to be like, what did I miss? Have they spoken out about this? Because this is the part that pissed me off where it's like, it just being like, lying about sexuality is, and sexual abuse is the only way in which women can enact power over men, implying that when women come forward about sexual assault it's about power and and not about the wrongdoing like who like if i come forward about a sexual assault right and people are then like you want power i'd be like interesting because maybe we should ask a question about like who was the fucking criminal assaulter anyways the new york times said basically this makes no sense because if jocelyn were a real pop star aligning herself with a man who went to prison for holding a woman hostage would tank her career that's not power that's a man's idea of what power looks like for a woman. She's a woman, right? So like Britney Spears had a breakdown when her life was really bad and she was being controlled and she was victimized for a mental health episode. There is no way in which Jocelyn is a pop star and she aligns herself with a full criminal and that affects her in no way negatively. And also, again, it's like just a such a sucky, boring ass take that like power for a woman. Is manipulating their own stories of trauma like there are interesting things to say about like how jocelyn could utilize like a victim narrative to come out on top if you want those rules reversed you know what i mean like taylor swift is a great example not saying that she's not saying anything swifties but like she is really great at like utilizing victim narratives from like when she was 19 in her songs like people are pissed at john mayer right and he's disgusting but like they're pissed about dear john like what, a decade after it happened? Like, there's something interesting there to say. Like, why not have Jocelyn, like, co-opt her victim narrative based on the actual trauma that Tedros, like, did on her? But no, it's got to be, like, women, we love to lie. That's The Idol.
0: The Idol was supposed to be a completely different show with a different creator. And it was supposed to be a woman's perspective on exploitation of women. But, with about 80% of the show written and filmed, they just scrapped everything, and Sam would take over. And from this point on, it stopped being about a woman suffering at the hands of producers and men in her life, because The weekend, I think he goes by Abel now, he had changed his screen name. Actually, actually, suspiciously very close to the whole idol controversy is when he changed his name, right? Weekend? wanted more screen time. He, as a man and famous singer and performer, he wanted more screen time. So this stopped being a show about women. Rolling Stone actually said that the creator exited the show because of Abel's growing concerns that the show was adopting too much of a female perspective. It's a show about women with too much female perspective.
3: The Idol, how HBO's next euphoria became twisted torture porn. In this article sources, people that worked on set, people that left the set because it had gone completely off the rails. They kind of talk about how much of a mess it had been trying to cobble together some type of show called The Idol. Apparently the show was supposed to premiere all the way back in November of 2021, but it was continually being pushed back reshot, rewritten. Um, If you weren't aware, Sam Livingston wasn't supposed to be the original like director of the show. It was supposed to be directed by Amy Simons, who is the co-creator of The Girlfriend Experience and She Dies Tomorrow. And when HBO originally picked up the story, it was supposed to be this incredibly smart and critical and satirical and sub- Versive story, distinctly woman-led in this kind of category of women's exploitation and entertainment. Glitter, Showgirls, The Star Is Born, you know, they keep making these movies and they're usually directed and created by men. And this was going to be one where a woman is telling the story of a woman's exploitation. Theoretically, she would kind of know being that she'd be a director i.e. a woman working in entertainment.
0: One of the critics online said it was a show about a woman who was finding herself sexually turned into a show about a man who gets to abuse this woman and she loves it. Complete chaos ensued because the majority of the crew and much of the cast doesn't return for the hiatus of the filming. Sam was said to never come to the set with a plan, and many scenes due to that had to be reshot and scrapped at the last minute.
3: However... Uh, In April of 2022, with approximately 80% of the six episodes already finished and filmed, Simons made her exit, handing over the reins to Sam, resulting in a complete creative overhaul. New cast, new crew, it was rewritten eight trillion times. Simons left for a bunch of reasons, uh, partially because she was kind of set up to fail, suddenly became a writer of the show, even though she was never intended to be. Also, it was said that she had, you know, some creative differences with The weekend, who felt that the show was leading, quote, too much into a female perspective. <laughs> the show about the woman in entertainment. Yeah, I talked too much about the women in entertainment. Who well, the fuck is it supposed to be about, Abel? It would seem that this is because the weekend wanted more screen time, which is a true tragedy because the rare instances that the show that we end up getting is halfway decent. It's always when he's not there. <laughs> he shoehorning him in that bitch because he said, I'm gonna get my screen time. So when Levingston stepped into the role as director, they scrapped the nearly finished 54 to 75 million dollar project. To recreate it, to rewrite it, to recast it, what we end up with is weakened to the core. It no longer has a core anymore. (laughs) In the place of where there was a message, they just ramp up sex scenes and make them more and more disturbing. It was no longer this kind of dark satire of fame and exploitation and manipulation. It became the thing that it was making fun of.
0: To give you a gist of the vision that Sam had for a woman taking her trauma into her own hands and turning it around, let me recap the first episode of The Idol. Jocelyn is posing for an album cover. We will find out that her mom had recently died from cancer, and she's going through some type of breakdown, but the show must go on. In the wake of this personal crisis, she seems to be completely lost. She doesn't really know where her music is going, what direction it's taking. And she's kind of having this argument with the intimacy coordinator. She wants to show her nipples on this cover, and he is basically saying like, well, you have the no nudity clause in this contract, so this can't be done. Meanwhile, her whole team is discussing a completely different issue. It's because a picture of Jocelyn with cum on her face is leaked. And her team is trying to hide this from her, but eventually they're going to decide, well, rather I think this is when The weekend's character comes into the picture. And what is going to be decided for Jocelyn, doesn't really even come as her idea initially, is for her to reclaim the power, is to make that picture with a come shot on her face her new album cover. This is what this whole show is. Like, in every single one of those five episodes, it introduces a topic, a plotline for the shock value. And it always re-traumatizes Jocelyn, Well, she's mostly re-traumatized by The weekend, in order for her to reclaim her power. So another example, this is like a whole underlying plotline through all five episodes from what I have seen, we see Jocelyn like manically brushing her hair with this hairbrush we will find out that this is because her now dead mom previously abused her with that same hairbrush. So, Tedros, The weekend's character, tries to get her to reclaim the power by him beating her with that hairbrush. But by the end of the series, right, we see that Jocelyn has a completely new hairbrush. So, this is my thought process here, right? Because I was trying to think, like, what... Why was this included? What is the message that Sam is trying to send us? The question is, did she lie about the trauma? And is this how she reclaimed her power? By lying about it to the man abusing her? Or did she just lie about a hairbrush? Meaning the trauma was real, and she reclaimed that power by being traumatized again just by a different person. This plotline truly made me think, based off of, like, the quotes from the interviews watching Euphoria myself, then watching commentaries on The Idol, that this is what Sam thinks reclaiming your power is all about. Lying about your abuse and manipulating men, because that's how you turn the tables. For the New York Times, Sam would say about The Idol that the show plays into the feeling that the audience has. Oh, she's a victim. She has to be a victim. I believe people will underestimate Jocelyn as a character because of how exposed she is. The danger behind shows like this is that they offer a whole baffling idea that when women come forward about being abused, men don't get punished. They're not to suffer any consequences, but rather they're now under that woman's spell and communication will simply solve everything. We are now gonna go back in time Because, when listening to the commentary on The Idol, it made me want to find out, was there a clear escalation here at some point? As when I watched the trailers to this man's previous work, the movies he worked on with his dad, there was none of this obsession with feminism through the male gaze, the way he clearly develops on when the work is his own. Before Euphoria, Sam directed and wrote other two movies. Another Happy Day in 2011 and Assassination Nation in 2018. Another Happy Day, based on the trailer, still follows in his dead footsteps in terms of creation. I didn't see any of the outlandish outfits, camera direction, whereas with Assassination Nation, you see a clear stylistic switch. To put you in the shoes of the creator now... He is clean. He has been off drugs by this point for like 13 years, right? If the math is correct, do not ever trust me on math. And this is his second production that he fully owns. If someone, right, gives you an opportunity to create a major motion picture, not a video on YouTube that you can just private and delete, not like a clip that you will share with your friends, I feel like everybody, given the chance, would come through with their strongest idea. Something that they would like to be remembered for, because it also gives them the chance to direct and write again, to have the next big hit. What was that strong idea for Samuel here? The IMDb short of the plotline. After a malicious data hack exposes the secrets of the perpetually American town of Salem, chaos descends, and four girls must fight to survive, while coping with the hack themselves. I have listened to Mark Remod, like the movie critic, talk about this, and as soon as the movie starts, you learn that it takes place in Salem. Apparently, this isn't like Salem, Massachusetts, but like, it's fictional Salem. Anyways, like... (laughs) where your mind is immediately supposed to go is Salem Witch Trials. Yes, it brings that whole idea of attacking innocent people based on hearsay. And of course, the ones deciding on the punishment based on minimal evidence will turn out to be the man of the town.
4: This is the story of how my town, Salem, lost its motherfucking mind. Now I understand that you may think I'm exaggerating, that I'm being hyperbolic, that there's no way an entire suburb could freak the fuck out to the degree they'd want to kill four teenage girls. But I promise you, this is a hundred percent a true story.
0: The movie will focus on Lily as our narrator, and then three of her best friends, and Bax and Sarah. Sarah, who is played by Sookie Waterhouse, will get, like, about five lines. This woman does not get any screen time. So, I put in the script, I'm like, is this, realistically, like, possibly this woman uh, beefing with the director Sam? Like, are we not privy to, like, some gossip, some tea there? Or, or, <laughs> is this about Sam's writing? yet again. Because the plot starts with like four best friends trying to survive the night and it moves on to just focus on two of them. I'm like, Sam, bro, like you wrote this. You wrote, it. you could have written a different script, but this is what you wrote, okay?
4: My name is Lily Holson, and I'm 18 years old. These are my three best friends, Um Bex, and Sarah. And to be honest, I don't know if we're gonna live
0: through the night. After giving us the trigger warnings that I have played at the beginning of this video, Lily is narrating and she tells us she won't start off the story with what she did that afternoon because it's gross. We don't go back to this scene, by the way. Like, I completely forgot about this scene. I was like, wait, how did this movie start off? Oh, with this. So, why is it there if it doesn't add fuck all to the plot? She meets with her friends and has this interaction with M's mom about whether or not she has been crying. Have been crying?
4: No, 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 some boy just shoved his fingers on my throat. Oh, oh. wow. Not as sexy
0: as it sounds. She is now in the room with the girls and she keeps getting messages from somebody saved as daddy in her phone, and she's clearly hiding these from the girls, so they have no idea who she's seeing on the side. It has to be, said M, the designated person of color in this friends group, delivers the best one-liners.
2: Men who don't eat pussy in this day and age are straight up sociopathic, okay? Am I wrong? Where's the lie?
3: Um, Um, (laughs) the
0: (laughs) The girls get ready for this house party, and while they're there, the text starts circulating about the mayor of Salem getting hacked. So, there were pictures of him dressed in girls' underwear that got leaked. And you can truly see that this movie was written by a man in his 30s, because this is how he thinks young people communicate any sort of gossip. Lily really gets another text from daddy. It makes me want to warm every single time I say daddy, because it's like he's somebody's father. Why do you have him saved? as daddy? He's not your daddy. He asks her, like, if she's with her boyfriend. And this leads to the argument between her and Mark, the boyfriend, because he throws a fit about her texting, and she says, like, she feels like she's babysitting him. She storms out and goes into the toilet. And this is where we see the beauty of Sam's work. Because camera shots give us the perspective of what three of the friends are doing. Because yet again, we don't care about Sarah. Why is this not a movie about three friends, or actually two. But why? Why does have to be about four best friends? So we see Lily in the bathroom, Bex, who is a trans character on the show, with a guy named Diamond, who has been sexting her, telling her that she can't tell anybody about this, after basically he goes down on her. And Em... I don't know what the fuck Em is doing. Like, I think she's, like, getting this guy off. Like, it's completely irrelevant to the plot. Because, as I told you, this movie is only going to focus on Lily and Bex. It's now the next day, or Monday. We don't know. It's, like, it's a school day. Okay? The girls are headed to school discussing what they think is going to happen to the mayor. How he's going to have the press conference. And they go into, like, the most disgusting true narrative about Casey Anthony. And basically the whole thing here is like oh well she managed not to be jailed or suffer any consequences so maybe the mayor is going to have the same exact fate
4: Know they're gonna have a press conference and Bartlett's wife is just gonna be standing there like the literal human embodiment of the gritting teeth emoji Like
3: <laughs> Oh, I live for this type of scandal to be honest Like the Casey Anthony trial Oh my god Stop. And we had just gotten TiVo mm. oh. Yo, Remember when
4: Casey's news, me? Those were 108% I brutally murdered my daughter
2: Nudes. Okay, she was found not guilty, Bex, that's liable What the fuck's Casey gonna do? Sue me
4: and reopen that camera? Oh my god,
2: that reminds me I I have a 20,000 word Nancy Grace fanfic in my draft
4: right now. I literally forget how weird you are sometimes when you pull up some shit like that. No, no, it's actually
0: super legit. It's cool. Lily is pulled into principal's office for some drawings of nude women that someone flagged up. Again, we don't know who. This part of the plotline is purely done for this conversation to take place, for her to tell the principal this isn't about nudity. It's much deeper than that. It's about the pressure, the mindfuck, the thousands of selfies you took before this one. Let's roll the tape. All you're looking at is the nudity. This isn't
4: about that. This isn't about the sex or the porn or even being naked. This is about everything into it. The pressure. The endless mindfuck. The 10,000 naked selfies you took before this one, trying to get it just right. Trying to make sure the light hides your left nipple because it's slightly inverted, or it's smaller. Or maybe your labia is too big. But, if you pull your pelvic bone up and bend to the left slightly in a low-light setting, then Hashtag flawless. Body confident. But it's all one big lie. You can never be. Because nobody's flawless, and all it takes is one fucking asshole to remind you of that. One guy to say lol, or she's nasty. And you're right back in square one. So, okay, maybe it is explicit or extreme. But it sure as hell looks like life to me.
0: After this conversation, Lily goes into the toilet to take some more semi-nude selfies for the guy that shall not be named. And she puts two fingers into her mouth and kind of asks him, like, oh, do you want to pull the trigger? To which he responds that she should go back to class because she's a delinquent slut. So, just, just to prove something, okay? Raise your hand in the privacy of your own home, okay, where you feel safe. Raise your hand if, as a woman, somebody had called you a delinquent slut while sexting. And that provoked you to somehow send even more news." Yeah, 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 That this is what happens when 30-something-year-old man writes script. This is what happens. Adam Levine's DMs, this is what happens. There is a vox pop of people's opinion on the mayor now, because you guessed it, him posing like this and with the assumptions that he might be fruity himself, well, this is not in the line with his views around the LGBTQ community. We see him getting out to speak at this press conference to address everything, but instead he blows his brains out in front of what I'm supposed to believe is like hundreds of people. And we cut to our girls just chilling at the pool, having zero sympathy about this. The chief of police comes to the school to talk to the principal because he believes somebody there is behind the hack that exposed the mayor. Why? Why is this the assumption? Why is in your investigation your first logical lead to go to a random ass high school to find a potential hacker? Unless it is purely to lead to the next scene, which is when during this conversation the principal gets a phone call and he finds out that his life was leaked to the internet as well. It appears the principal took pictures of his nude daughter.
2: Just saying. But the main thing we need to talk about are the eight nude photos of his daughter in his iPhone library. Well, have you seen
1: the pictures?
4: They're from three and a half years ago, which would have made Allison Turtle only six and a half years old when they were taken.
2: She's in the bath and you can see everything. Disgusting! Oh my God. <laughs> Let me ask you, Principal Turtle, did your six year old daughter consent
0: to those? And this leads to Lily having a conversation while eating dinner with her family, saying that these pictures are not of sexual nature, that he is not a child molester, that he's a victim in this. And the dad of Lily is, is kind of like making the comment of like, well, I didn't even like participate in baths. I wasn't even in the bathroom when you had baths after your age of two. And she's like, why? Like, that's fucking weird. <laughs> Why were you not, like, taking a me? Like, you are the weirdo here, basically. She kind of storms out after this conversation, and her brother is just trying to stir the conversation in a different way, with a comment about a family on safari in Africa that got mauled by seven tigers. And the parents are like, no, never heard of it, and just the conversation is completely dead. Now, with Lily running into her room, we see that she got a message from somebody. It appears that this person is a hacker, saying, Aerostatus is coming for you. And because I knew that this is a Sam Levinson production, I knew that the name had to have some bloody meaning. And yes did. Erostratus is the name in classical literature given to somebody who commits a criminal act in order to achieve notoriety. After getting this message, Lily gets into Penelope Garcia mode. She copies the IP address, she finds out that this person is writing from Moscow, to their based there, and she's left to go through the night just scared shitless. It's very unfriended, coded at this point, like another movie that came out on the dangers of social media and people following you through your laptop cameras from 2014. The next day, we get introduced to this psycho girl called Reagan that is played by Bella Thorne, who has no respect for people who get their shit hacked. Don't get attached to Rega, she's purely there because Bella Thorne wanted her role, I guess. 42,000 Dalmas, that's like
4: three times the size of Salem. Sorry, but I just don't have like any sympathy
2: for people that get their shit hacked. For real? Yeah, I mean, there's two types of people in this world, you know? Like the people that have come to terms with privacy is just dead. And like, you know, then there's the old people that are still trying to fight it.
0: This whole day, from this point on, the next 10 minutes could have been cut out of the movie. I could have lived peacefully, but this is a short recap of what happens next, right? Lily's boyfriend tries to scare her because he has, like, the Aerostratus mask on. The principal has a very, like, similarly short scene to the mayor coming on stage, but he doesn't blow his brains out. He actually starts, like, saying a sob story of, like, some of us didn't go to college, and people are like, bro, take accountability. He still refuses to resign and then just is booed off the stage. Then during lunch we cut to the girls chatting about how the hacker can't be a student. They must be older and unfulfilled. The living with their mom in the basement stereotype. And this is when I was just so fucking exhausted. This is 40 minutes into the movie. They're just bringing up topics without them even being discussed properly, just introducing one thing after the other. I realized watching this movie, like, at this point, and at so many other points, in the book, I was like, I don't care who the hacker is. I truly, like, there's nothing here that inspires me to, like, give a fuck. There's absolutely zero things that I'm like, oh my god, yes, I want to figure this out. No, I don't. Because then they go, during, I think it's lunch break, they start speaking about, well, what would have motivated this person. Like, I mean, is there even a motive? Like, what can be the motive for 300 mass shootings every year? Cool. Deep topic. Let's discuss it further. No. We cut to the next house party, which is when they start another deep chat about how porn taught them how to fuck.
2: Motives are relevant. Like, what's the motive behind 300 plus mass shootings every year? There is none. People just burn out when I take down their little universe. I just had this really scary thought that, like, we're all characters on The Sims and none of us know it. Porn taught me how to fuck. But that's the problem. You think it taught you how to fuck? It
4: didn't. This is why every guy I meet on Tinder wants to choke me on our first (laughs) date.
1: I learned how to eat pussy by watching porn. (laughs) (laughs) Just by looking in your eyes, I can tell that you don't know the first thing about eating pussy.
0: Whatever. I will never know. But that last point that they discuss about porn is going down on women. And they go on to develop this into a bit more, because Bex asks Lily's boyfriend, does he go down on women? And then asks Lily to confirm it. So, the boyfriend, who I think is called Mark, and Lily are going to have a whole argument about this, because he's like, well, you told them that I don't go down on you, like, how would you react? if I just told everything, like, to the boys, like, that we do in the bedroom. And Lily brings what I thought was a value point. This is the only time that I actually interacted with the movie. I was like, yeah, you fucking tell She brings up, well, like, if I didn't go down on you, if I didn't suck you off, you wouldn't tell a friend of yours? She's like, no, I would never do that to you. And they just argue, argue, until, of course, they make up. And we are led to believe he finally goes down on her. And as this... like, exciting plot is happening, thrilling, thrilling freaking material for a movie, we see a text from daddy to Lily that he can see her while she is with her boyfriend. And we find out who he is with the camera zooming out from Lily's room to his. So Lily at the beginning of the movie drove past this house and the child kind of came onto the road. She almost actually ran this child over. Again, nobody fucking addresses that part. But she comes out and kind of like says hi to the child because she used to babysit him. And the child's parents come out and we see like the mom is like, yeah, you should definitely come around. But the dad is a bit sus. The dad is quiet. So daddy is, yes, a married neighbor who has um, a child of his own, a wife, and had slept with an underage girl. We are led to believe, or is sexting, an underage girl. We cut to the police station, and as the police officers are interrogating this student, a mass hack happens. And Lily is, of course, going to be affected, because the story has to be about her reclaiming her sexuality. And she would go ahead to confide in Bex with a story. It's like the typical bullshit of like, he gave me the rides home, he listened, her friend is supporting her, and I'm truly losing my fucking mind at this point. Because for 50 minutes, we're just getting new teams introduced, not developing on anything.
4: Just babysitting for him, and afterwards he'd all see me a ride home. The only guys that had ever been into me really really dumb 16. When the car rides home, and they just ask me all these questions, and they'd never
2: ask me.
0: As students are now finding out more about whose lives got leaked, we learned that the reason Reagan has no sympathy for these girls is because she found some nudes on another girl's called Grace computer. So, like, she found nudes of Grace and then she shared them with her boyfriend, who then shared them with the whole school. So, Grace is, of course, fucking pissed. And Diamond's account got hacked, so his mates now know that he had slept with Bex, who is trans. And they're like, "Oh my god, you like suck, he sucked dick? Can you believe it? We need to beat the shit out of him."
4: Or had their best friend share their nudes with her boyfriend, and then turn, the entire
1: fucking school. Yeah, fuck Diamond. I can't fucking believe he sucked Bex's dick. It's disgusting. Literally, I'm still gagging. I just share drinks with that fucker.
4: But it is scary to think about, because you don't know who's who, or how easily they can be swayed. And at the end of the day, nothing unites us like a good tragedy.
0: At least you know that this movie was not lying on the trigger warning front. Like they told you, transphobia is gonna hit hard. Because from this point on, everything is about violence. People start resorting to it. The sports team, I don't actually know what they play. I don't think that's like made clear. Are they football team? I fucking know. They're in the gym at this point, and they plan to beat Diamond up. And then Grace, who is played by Maud Apatow, has a baseball bat ready to smash Reagan's head, because she exposed her. From the scene in the gym where the boys are hyping themselves up to go and beat Diamond because they're transphobic as fuck, we find out they call themselves Slay'em High Killers. How Mojo Dojo cast a house of them. We get a cheerleader dancing because truly, can you have a high school movie without one? Grace smashes Regan's head with a baseball bat. And then Mark has Lily cornered because he starts questioning her if she is the one in those leaked pictures to the daddy, right? Now, the camera work is brilliant, because it shows Dragonfall onto the ground, and Grace leave the scene, and then it shows Lily left sobbing, as everybody abandons her, and the camera kind of going further and further away from her. That scene of Lily left on the ground is something that doesn't make sense to me, okay? So let's just, let me break this down for you, so that you can kind of loop me in on what the fuck was the logic here. She is left on the ground crying, because her boyfriend had just basically brought her to this, like, MTS location, in order for his friend to hold her down, as he takes pictures of her, because he remembered that she has a birthmark on her back. So he's like, okay, I'm going to prove that this is you in these pictures, that you have been sending to another guy, which surely, how does this work for you? How does this work in this man's favor? what, like, so that he can be in the group chat, like, yeah, that's her. Like, how does this work for you? I don't get it. And, like, what it makes me think is that both of the plot lines, Regan exposing Grace and Mark proving Lily is the girl in the pictures, are happening for Sam to show off his camera work. Like, does it add much to the plot? Did the Reagan plotline add anything to this movie? I don't think so. I just think it's just genuinely wasting time. We then see that Grace is apparently arrested, because that hit to the head killed Reagan, and then we move on from these two plotlines completely. Lily goes back home, only to be kicked out by her mom. This scene was just... I was like, surely not. Like her parents literally question her, be like, oh my god, is that you? Like, no, tell me, like, is it you that have been sexing this guy? Oh my god, we didn't raise you like this. And they just like shut the door in her face and her bro is just eating cereal, like walking by, not acting on it. As her parents have now left her to fend for herself, she's being recorded by this creep. So, we have this footage of her, like, running to escape from him, only to knock him out with a shovel. Because this is when the whole of the concept of Salem witch trials is to begin. Everybody starts resorting to violence. We turn to purge night because the government can't establish law and order and the police is in on it, as is the whole town. Grace is apparently killed and everyone is slut-shaming behind masks, hunting down women and beating them up.
4: Who sees a naked photo of a girl and their first thought is, yo, I gotta kill this bitch. Turns out... Way more people than you'd think. And I know we're all like a little desensitized to violence. And mobs. And like, violent mobs. sorry? Oh.
2: my husband stick your fucking mouth!
4: But when 17,000 people's texts and emails get leaked...
1: Slay him motherfucker! Oh,
4: and the police and FBI... Do nothing about it. Shit gets really
0: fucking weird. As the night progresses, the boys with masks on beat up one of those guys. Like, I think he appeared literally in that one scene where the police is interrogating him and the whole mess hack happens. And they beat him up into a confession on camera. And he confesses that Lily is the one behind all of the leaks. Now, the girls are blissfully unaware of this. They're actually at Sarah's house, and they're all wearing red coats. This is to symbolize the violence that is about to take place. And for the movie buffs, of course, Sam was inspired here. He was inspired by a 1970 Japanese outlaw biker film called Stray Cat Rock. Delinquent girl boss. For the extra heightened visual, Sam made sure that the girls are wearing shiny, plastic versions of those coats. So, the girls, including Lily here, find out by watching the video that is now circulating the internet of the false confession that Lily is supposedly behind the leak.
2: IP address in and around Salem. There was one that stood out. Lily Coulson's I then confronted her about it at what school. What the fuck? She, she not only admitted to being behind the hack, but she also said that if I didn't help her... She said that if I didn't help her, she would release all my personal information as well as my father's.
0: The girls are watching this video now and they figure that the whole town now believes that Lily is behind the leak. So they're shitting themselves. They're breaking it. One of them is asking like, oh my god, like did um, your mom switch on the house alarm? Then they go to check up on that. They're like, what is the code again? Lily goes outside to have a phone call with somebody. They all separate basically because this now gets into like the horror trope where the teenagers are just dumb and you want them all to die. Like, you don't want any of them to live by the end of this, because it gets ridiculous. And we get to one of the more iconic scenes of the movie, and this is the home invasion scene. I saw the breakdown of how this scene was shot, where you really see that as a director, Sam is talented. Like, if only he gave the writing job to somebody else, I feel like I would breathe a lot more easily. So, let the man walk you through the home invasion scene
1: but something that we can shoot in, in 10 hours. So we sat there with basically this 3D model that Michael Gracie, our production designer had built and tried to figure out what's the scariest way possible that we could sort of you know choreograph this home invasion sequence. And um, we came up with this idea of shooting it from the outside. And actually on, on this take here, when the stunt guy grabs Abra, pulls her towards the window. He actually slams his hand into the glass, and the glass actually shattered for real, um, which is a moment where you're kind of hard drops as a filmmaker and you hope everyone's okay, but that ended up having to be our last take for that section right there because we couldn't replace the window. So we had kind of designed this dolly track that a technocrane with a 42-foot arm could sit on so it can actually go around all three sides of the house without a single cut. And so from that point on, it was just a matter of, of getting the choreography and the timing right. So, you know, I would sit with Marcel behind the crane and, and sort of walk with him with a radio that I could communicate with all the actors inside to make sure that they, they hit their marks or to make sure that they were, you know, the camera was keeping up with them or they were keeping up with the camera. So it felt like this was something that was in motion and was continuing to sort of, you know, build suspense there was also something that felt you know, very apropos about watching this horror unfold and, and being helpless to it, uh, which is, I think, something that we often feel when scrolling through Twitter or, or Instagram and, and, and looking at these sort of tragedies unfold um, where we become sort of spectators to it.
0: The girls are being tackled in different parts of the house, and Lily is outside on a phone, and as she goes back in, just as somebody's about to shoot her, Em's mom steps into the picture and shoots him. She turns into, like, an assassin for a brief couple of minutes, only for her to be shot dead in a very brutal way. Like, the bullet goes through the wall and then through her brain, and again, I looks like, why is there... A need for such a graphic scene. It's not like Amy is going to have time to grieve her mother. It's not like that plot line goes anywhere. Actually, where the show goes is to the pool of their house, where Bex tackles her attacker with a nail gun inside of the pool. Again, for the contrast between the blue water and the red blood to, like, present the violence that's ongoing. Why is there a scaffolding, like, drilling happening right now as I'm recording this bloody video? One of those mask attackers takes their mask, but they're behind blinds. They're hiding somewhere and it seems like they're the ones on the phone giving the orders. And it's daddy. It's the person, the creep neighbor, that is hiding behind the screen giving orders to the man to kill these girls. We also find out that the police is in on it as they arrest Sarah and Em. So they managed to escape only to be arrested by the police. And from this point on, we follow two threads of the story. The town hunting down Lily, and the other group of people hunting down Bex to kill them. Lily for supposedly exposing the whole town, and Bex for being trans. Now, if you have ever seen a single horror movie in your life, you know that the way that they revealed who Daddy is, and that he is some sort of criminal mastermind, means that the white girl is going to run into his house. So, um, Lily does exactly that, because she can't go to her own home, because her parents kicked her out. So, she has to go to the home of the guy that she has been sexting in order to hide. He brings her into his daughter's room. I'm not even going to include the clips of this in the post-production, because it just freaked me out. Like, he's trying to get Lily to confess that she is actually behind this and that she has done it because she's in love with him, with a knife to her throat. Meanwhile, Bex is on the loose, but gets captured by the slam high killers. And Diamond is being forced to kill her by hanging her with a rope as she is tied down to the back of the truck. Back to Lily, right? With um, her and daddy making out in the daughter's room, she manages to, like, bite his lip so hard and then run to the bathroom. Which, again, horror, movie, stereotypes. Why is she not running through the door? Because... This movie needs more blood. Yeah. She runs into the bathroom, right? And here, like, it's just red. She is sleeping on blood. Why? Whose blood is that? We see that somebody's been asphyxiated in a motherfucking bathtub, but she doesn't have the time to focus on that, because... Bloody Daddy is at the door. This is a wrong timing, but um, Daddy is played by Joel McHale, which is such a wrong casting choice. Um, Joel McHale is a comedian. Well, at least I know him as a comedian. I mean, he has acted in a bunch of other stuff. Why is he playing a villain? It's just such a non-villainous character. Like, apart from so many things. Anyways, back to the bathroom scene. Lily's inside with somebody's body. I had to Google this, okay? Because this wasn't clear as well. The bodies in the bathtub, apparently it's two that are, like, asphyxiated, so you can't even see them through, like, the bags and stuff on their face. The bodies are apparently of the mother and the child, of the guy that she has been sexting. Yeah, she finds razor blades and then, like, gets the blades part out, so as soon as he gets in, she basically goes for the jugular and uh, Joe McHale dead. dead. So, she runs out. She doesn't, again, go to the door. She goes into the living room. And this is where, just in her vision, on the floor, is like an arsenal of weapons. So, somehow, we, again, don't know how, because she's one person here in this house. She packs all of those fucking weapons and gets out on the street. camera angle moves back to the van, where Diamond actually refuses to kill Bex. So, the boys knock him out and they're like, we will make an example out of her. So, they decide to hang Bex for the whole town to see. Again, can you see that the plot is about Salem witch trials? Very, very subtly. Very subtle there, Samuel. Very subtle. The police officer, meanwhile, is driving M and Sarah to the police station. They're tied with zip ties. I noticed this. I was like, again, if this is a real police officer, why don't they have handcuffs on them? Why are they tied with zip ties, sir? What what the fuck is going on? So, he is also, as he's driving these two girls, like, through the radio announcing a reward for anyone handing them over Lily. While this girl in that toilet, before she even took, like, that arsenal of weapons, perfectly cleaned herself up in the sink. Because, again, she can't access the bathtub. There's apparently two dead bodies there, not even one that I thought. She's perfectly cleaning herself up from all of the fucking blood in the sink, and then gets out and just happens to stumble upon the car, the police car, driving both of her best friends. The police officer comes out of the car, and his line is you're not allowed to kill a cop. So of course she shoots. You're allowed
4: to a <laughs> <laughs>
0: She kills the police officer, saves her friends, and now we have the whole montage of all four of them being badass in those red coats and turn into assassins, and they all have all the weapons because they found it at Joel McHale's house. And it's them against the city, they go to save bags. shoot, massacre all of these boys that were about to hang Bex. They, of course, save her. We find out that Diamond is alive. And Diamond and Bex kind of exchange, like, a couple of words. We're like, they'll see you around. And Lily makes that joke, like, of, not all men. You see? Like, he didn't kill... What am I watching? Samuel. Samuel. Before I forget this, because now the girls obviously still have to defend themselves against the whole town that is against them, because they still think that Lily is the one behind the heck, there's this whole scene as they're shooting the boys in order to save Vex, where they tell them, like, if you just surrender, we will spare you, like, we won't shoot you. And only one person does, and he pleads for forgiveness. It's like that kind of, like, begging, crying that, like, cheaters do, right? And I don't... I don't know why he was given so much screen time. The only reason that I could come up with is that trigger reel from the beginning of the movie that flashes on the screen bruised male ego. I think, I think that might be Sam's version of it. I don't know. I have no idea. Like, what are your thoughts on this? Because at this point, the movie has about eight minutes left eight minutes. And that doesn't even include the end credits. So we see Lily go record a message. I think this is supposed to be a live that she's on, kind of trying to gather troops, gather people, women, if you wish, right, behind her. And the message starts off being about womanhood, but it kind of ends flatly with the idea of, like, you might kill me, but you can't kill us all.
4: This is your world. You built this. If it's too strict tear it the fuck down. But don't look at me. Don't take your hate out on me. I just got here. And I have no clue where to go, because from the moment I arrived, all I was ever given were orders. Smile. Open up. Cross your legs. Spread your pussy. Speak softer. Scream louder. Be quiet. Be confident. Be interesting, don't be so difficult, be strong, don't fight back, be an angel, be a whore, be a princess, be anything you want to be, even the president of the United States of America. Just kidding. Fuck you. You still wanna kill me? Rape me? Stab me? Shoot me? Let's go. Rally your fucking crew. Grab your guns and hide behind your masks. You want to do this in real life now?
0: Give it your best shot. The girls end up pointing the guns with what appears to be hundreds of men. And there's only a couple of girls that are there backing them up, supposedly after they have heard Lily's speech. And we cut from this scene to the interrogation room at the police station where Lily's parents are hearing that life sentence is a must but the close up is not on Lily but on Lily's brother when he is asked why he did it he says he did it for the Lols. Come with me. I don't understand
1: Lost their lives. Sister almost killed. Why would you? Why would you do something like this? I don't know. For the loss.
0: That's it. That's the end. I have reached a level of self-hate I did not know was possible with this movie. Like, when I finished it, I was like, I didn't care who it was. However, it also doesn't make sense who it was. Because two things, like, right off the bat, right? The only time we hear from the brother is at the dinner table, when he tries to stir the conversation away after Lily storms off and says, like, oh, have you heard the news about this family where um, they have been mauled by, like, whatever, tigers, something like that. And then we see him basically, like, eat cereal or something, like, as Lily is kicked out of the house. So, the motive just... Isn't there? There isn't one. And as he says at the very end, he did it for a loss. He did it for amusement. And I think that is Sam's whole message with this movie: that certain things are senseless, like the Casey Anthony murdering her daughter, three hundred mass shootings. It's not very subtle, you know, like how he introduces all of these things only for them not to be developed, and then the whole ending is like, well. You didn't expect this, because you shouldn't have, because the motive just was not there. And then there is the second thing of not knowing. Not knowing, like, whether or not these girls ever got any consequences for, like, killing half of the town. Whether or not these boys did for all of the harassment, for being assaulters, for the transphobia, for wanting to kill backs. Like, every fucking, like, offense... Did anybody suffer any consequences? Do they just go to school? Do they just end up sharing the same personal space with their attackers? And again, I think that this is Sam's whole discourse, basing that of having watched Euphoria, having watched his other works, having watched Commentary on the Idol, that yes, in reality, in real life, abusers don't get punished. There are so many cases of, you know, like rapists, sexual assaulters, where people don't end up in jail. And communication is key because they just have to learn how to share personal space with their victims and the victims just have to learn how to move on. Some might hear that and be like, yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly what Sam had wanted you to leave the movie theater in like 2018 and how he wanted you to feel. But I feel like after having watched, you know, his previous work, it kind of poses a question. Unless he is given a series with, like, episodes and episodes to work on, can he explore themes in more detail? Like, can he just introduce a single topic and make a strong plotline surrounding it? Or is this the extent to his, like, writing abilities? Just doing it for shock value, introducing, 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 with, like, very open ending that isn't really satisfying for everybody? And finally, what is the moral of... Sam Levinson's production, what is the moral of this very story of Assassination Nation? Is it that living in digital age and exposing your private life online is dangerous? I read a great Vanity Fair article by a girl called Savannah Walsh, who drew comparisons between his other shows and Assassination Nation. So, she kind of focused on, like, three of his projects. Euphoria, the movie, and then also The Idol and about how they explore the topic of exposure of private pictures online that serve as major plot drivers. So, in the movie today, we have seen how this fictional town of Salem experiences mass violence and disorder when hackers breach phones, revealing sensitive information. In Euphoria, there's the whole plot where Cassie's pictures are spread with a group of high school boys, And there's another plot with, like, the trans character being exploited by another parent, and then also another student, and she's exploited for blackmail. Assassination Nation also features the underage character that engages in this inappropriate relationship with somebody who is a parent, parental figure who shouldn't be having sex with an underage student. In The Idol's first episode, as I mentioned, there was a whole leak of the sexually explicit picture of the cum on Jocelyn's face that appears to be an act of revenge porn. After going into the deep dive, searching for Sam's interviews about this movie, I think this might be it. That he sees this as satire. Actually, a feminist satire horror with the anticipation of where things were headed culturally and socially and as a country. He said in this interview for the Empire, it's impossible for young people to navigate their sexuality through the internet. Everything is ultimately crystallized and at any point it can be used as ammunition against you. It's something that is not often dealt with in storytelling. We have a generation of young people who aren't allowed to make mistakes in any way. Apparently, I was supposed to finish this movie, close my laptop, and feel emotionally destroyed. The whole point was for Sam to leave me with hope. Sense of hope about how we can move things forward, and how we can change the way in which we communicate. Because the world would be a better place for it. How was I supposed to live with hope? when actions never had consequences. And of the idol, there were no consequences for the abuser. So many characters on Euphoria never suffered the consequences for domestic abuse, rape, sexual exploitation of underage girls. They just continue to live in the world where victims share their personal space with the abusers. Here, does the brother end up in jail? Do the girls who massacred half of the city, or do they get exonerated? Do the boys get any punishment for their misogynistic views and violence caused upon the girls? Murders of many, all of the abuse, emotional and physical. I'm supposed to leave a Sam Levinson production thinking that the way forward is keeping someone who harmed me in my life, while reclaiming power and distributing my private life myself. This is the key to me taking back my power as a victim. But if I do, and he goes on to do the research on my story himself, if he takes this story to tell it to the world, it will be framed for a male audience, as it's shown after this movie opened the doors for him to make the following two series. Even when he attempts to empower the teenage girls, like in Assassination Nation, he is unable to shed the male gaze, even as the four women fight back. Sam's talent is all about masking misogyny as feminism. When Lily livestreams at the end of the movie, talking about the ways in which she's been given orders as a girl to be both sexy and pure, to never speak up or fight back, an army of girls suddenly back her up, joining the movement. The works of Sam Levinson both objectify women and make them spread a message about being objectified without any real consequences for the perpetrators or lessons for the society as a whole. To leave this video, I'd be remiss not to mention the creator himself does not have social media. He isn't exposing his private life online. If an anonymous hacker was to have a look into his past, what would Sam Levinson's digital footprint tell us? could it give us an answer into whether someone is really able to separate themselves from the plot lines to the extent where no part of the oversexualization of their characters is reflective of who they are as a person? And that is the story of Assassination Nation. That is it for this week. I will be seeing you in two weeks' time to actually dive into a true crime story. And then possibly after that, I will again tell you another fictional one. I feel like it will be a better plot. Let's just say that. It will be a cult, like a classic movie that I want to watch myself and also read a book. It's a Stephen King's classic. So, you know, it will be better. And, you know, no offense to Sam Levinson, his, like, of feminism. But um, it should be, yes, a lot, a lot better than that. Until then... My out, and I shall be seeing you in a fortnight. My socks are leaving marks on my fat house. Out.